Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, our final show of the week. We're just a couple of days away from Packers-Lions Week 17 at Ford Field. And we all know what's on the line for Green Bay. Win and get a first-round bye. Fly back from Detroit, settle in to watch Seattle and San Francisco, see what happens in that NFC West game and how that might impact the Packers seeding. Um, the number one seed would be at stake for Green Bay if they're coming back from Detroit with a win. So with that in mind, what's it going to take here for the Packers to get to 13-3? and three? I like the way you laid that out to begin with, too. It's <laughs> like, oh, thank you. Yes, I'll have that. That, that sounds about <laughs> yeah, as that's well. That's what's as, on the menu yeah, for Sunday. What, yeah. That sounds about as picture perfect as how it could work out for the Packers, but you have to earn it. You have to work for it. And in order to do that, the two things that I really isolated as important in this game, I, I go along with what Brian Balaga and, and Matt LaFleur, a lot of people said, statistically, I don't think the Lions defense is as bad as the numbers might suggest. I still think they are dangerous, and I still think it's something the Packers are going to have to take into account and they can't take for granted. Offensively, though, you can't get away from the fact that it is an undrafted rookie quarterback that you're facing uh, with an unestablished run game. Now, Kenny Galladay is as good as they get as receivers go in this league right now. But defensively, I think you need to be able to really push this thing. And I, I think it's up to Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark to pressure David Blau, to get after him, to make this day as uncomfortable as possible, all while being able to maintain that solid run defense that they've played over the last month. Yeah, and I would say if there's one guy for the Lions offensively that makes me a little bit nervous, it's Kenny Galladay. We've yeah. seen him make big plays against the Packers. I think this is a really up-and-coming young receiver who has not reached the peak of his powers yet. And also we saw, yes, Kyler Fackrell was held. He probably could have gotten a sack of Kirk Cousins, but that was a pretty bad breakdown in the secondary that allowed that long touchdown pass that was called back late in the Vikings game. You can't have those kinds of breakdowns against Kenny Galladay or he could end up having a huge day. The other thing I see with this game, quite simply, for the Packers is don't turn the ball over. You know you know how I always am, Wes, when we sit here and we talk about a game where we really feel like the Packers are the better team right. and that the Packers should win the game. So to me, in those circumstances, I always say, hey, just don't turn the ball over. Don't make those kinds of momentum-changing plays that can give a big underdog that spark and that belief that they can knock you off and that they can make their season with a big upset victory. And the Packers are coming off of a game in Minneapolis, three turnovers in the first half, very well could have spelled disaster for Green Bay in their attempt to clinch the NFC North. It didn't. They came back. But three turnovers in the first half is not a recipe for success. Right. you got to nip that in the bud and not let that become a trend here as you're trying to play your best football. Yeah, you got to be able to protect the football, and it's the reason why the Packers are 12-3, and three, simply put. They've been able to take the ball away. They've played well in the red zone on both sides of the ball, and they've protected the football offensively. Here's as the interesting thing, you know, Monday night in Minneapolis was only the second time this year the Packers have had three turnovers in a game. You know what the other one was? Philadelphia? Detroit. Detroit, really? On that Monday night game, yeah. Aaron Rodgers threw an interception. Aaron Jones had a fumble. And Darius Shepard so, fumbled a punt. So maybe it doesn't matter if the Packers turn the ball over. <laughs> I mean, no, but, yeah. As I, as I yeah. say, not exactly a recipe for success. But my point being yeah. that this Detroit Lions defense – 
did take the ball away from the Packers a few times, and they were on the verge of beating Green Bay at Lambeau Field. Yes, Matthew Stafford is no longer the quarterback, but still, those are the kinds of things that get your attention right. in a game where you're, where the Packers are going in, obviously, as a heavy favorite and expected to win. I just think it's a, it's a week that you can't take for granted. You just have to really be on top of everything uh, and, and take care of business the way you're meant to take care of business. I mean, this team, to get to this point, it, it was really interesting listening to Aaron Rodgers discuss this at his locker on Thursday I mean you know the way he even said that game against Minnesota he count, he counts that among one of his better games he's played this year not maybe statistically not because of numbers people can say well are you setting the bar that low for yourself no he's not saying that it's that they were able to effectively manage the game in a game in which you needed to do that now this is completely different from where the Packers were at in the past. Like when you look at it with going into Ford Field and what it was going to take to be able to beat a team like that in 2016, <laughs> uh, the last two seasons when you know they were on the, the, the wrong end of it, I just think that there is so much fluidity with this roster that if you do take care of the football and you manage the appropriate situations, offensively and defensively, you're going to be able to be successful. It just the numbers bear it out all year long. People wanted to talk about identities. They wanted to talk about what separates this team. I think that's what does it. Yeah, it's that they're just incredibly smart in those situations. And when the fourth quarter comes around, more often than not, the field is tilted in their favor. Yeah, the other thing too, I think. From what I've heard in the locker room, we haven't had a lot of locker room access this week with the holiday and the short week and everything, but I sense the the players are definitely dialed into the fact that you cannot take anything for granted here. They know what's at stake. They know what's on the line. Preston Smith even mentioned yesterday when uh, some reporters were at his locker, hey, nobody thought the Arizona Cardinals with four wins were going to go to CenturyLink Field in Seattle and knock off the Seattle Seahawks, a loss that, quite frankly, has really damaged Seattle's chances to get the number one seed. They they could still get it if, you know, the Packers lose and the Saints lose and all this other stuff falls their way. But if the Seahawks hadn't lost that game to the Cardinals, they'd be going into that Sunday night game saying, hey, if we beat the 49ers, we are the top seed in the NFC. They lost that opportunity to a team in their own division that only had four wins on the year and coming into their place. So it is all about not taking anything for granted. I think the Packers are buying into it, and I expect to see a pretty focused team on Sunday in Detroit. Yeah, and and the other thing, I made this argument in Insider Inbox, this team for the last eight months has played to be in this position. Everything that they've done, every workout, every practice, every game has set themselves up to go into Detroit, win this game, and get a first-round bye. You don't want to waste all of those efforts, all of that hard work, all of that momentum because you overlook a three-win opponent. And every single guy, I think Corey Lindsley mentioned it too, that first game was by one point. There was a one-point difference. Turnovers, whatever, uh, total yards, production, you can look at all of it. In the end, it was one point that separated the Packers from victory and defeat. And while the situation has changed and half of this roster, it seems like, for the Lions is now an injured reserve, that still is something that there are guys that want to finish this thing out and and play the string out and show that, you know what, if Matt Patricia is going to be the head coach in 2020 and beyond and that's the plan, we got to play hard for him, we have to be ready for him. And then even a guy like David Blau, I mean, he's trying to prove that I can be a backup in this league. I'm a quarterback that's worth developing. I yeah. can be in this position again next year with Matthew Stafford. All those things bundled together, there still is a lot to play for. But as I've said all week long, Mike, 
for the Packers, they have to go out, they have to control the momentum right off the bat and make sure that while this game you cannot take for granted, maybe the second half is where you can actually start to, you know, maybe pull back some of the troops. If you can get out there, get a quick lead, and make sure that that crowd is in your favor. Right, and that's exactly the fast start idea is exactly what the Packers did not do the first time against right. the Lions. They fell behind 13 to nothing. Fortunately for Green Bay, that was a home game. As soon as the rally started, you know, the crowd kind of got behind the team, and then it comes down to uh, Mason Crosby kicking a walk-off field goal there. So um, I totally agree with you. I think, a f- I think a fast start, as we talked about on yesterday's show, you know, if, if there are some Green Bay fans in the stands, you know, get them riled up early. Keep the Detroit fans quiet. Don't let them think that some uh, some big upset for Matt Patricia to hang his hat on in the yeah. offseason is uh, is what's going to result. Here. And keep in mind too, Aaron Jones. We've been discussing these milestones all week long. Sixteen rushing yards away from his first thousand yard season. One touchdown away from matching Amon Green's single season record for touchdowns in a season. Aaron Jones is a critical piece to this puzzle because not only for all those reasons, but the fact that. Detroit is missing, what, three inside linebackers at this point of the season? Yeah, they, their defense is really banged their up. Their defensive front in particular. Yeah, so yeah. if you're able to get that, that ball moving in the first quarter, um, then you know keep whatever happened, whatever that change was in that second half against Minnesota and carry that over to this game, we could talk about Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and all the other pieces that have to be in play for the Packers here, both on Sunday and moving into the postseason. But I just think, especially with the question marks right now with Jamal Williams and not sure what his availability is going to be with the shoulder injury, Aaron Jones, this game is set up for him perfectly to have a breakout day. Yeah, well, I want to continue to talk about that because there are several individual milestones, mileposts that uh, various Packers could hit here in the final regular season game. Obviously, getting the win, getting the first round by is the priority. But you mentioned Jones is 16 yards away from his first 1,000-yard rushing season. He currently leads the NFL with 19 total touchdowns. Yeah. The last Packers player to actually lead the NFL in touchdowns for a single season was Jim Taylor back in 1962. And I believe Aaron Jones goes into this final game one touchdown ahead of Christian McCaffrey of the Panthers. And then also he's one touchdown off of the Packers single season franchise record of 20 touchdowns, which was set by Amon Green back in 2003. So that uh, um, that's one for him to get. Another one, you mentioned Devontae Adams. He's uh, the exact number is escaping me right now. Is it 96? 96 receiving yards. 96 receiving yards from a thousand yard season. And it's really interesting for him. Not only would it be pretty cool for him to get a thousand yard season in a year that he missed four games and he's only playing 12 in the regular season. But this is a guy who had a 997-yard season. He just missed 1,000. Another year where he had 885 but then missed the last two games when 115 yards in two games would have been pretty reasonable for him to get 1,000. Devontae Adams has only had 1,000-yard season technically in his career, and he's going for number two in a year that he missed an entire month. So that's kind of interesting as well. And on the defensive side, here's a couple to keep an eye on, Wes. I looked this up, and it was interesting. Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark, that trio has combined for 31.5 sacks so far this season with one regular season game to go. Since sacks became an official NFL statistic in 1982, the top trio in one season for the Packers was in 1998, Reggie White, 
with 16 sacks and winning Defensive Player of the Year, along with Vonnie Holiday with eight sacks and Keith McKenzie with eight sacks, wow. had 32 between the three of them. So the Packers' current top trio is 31-and-a-half. If they get one more sack, maybe the two Smiths split one, they each get a half, and that gets them to 32-and-a-half, and that would be one to chalk up. And another one on defense, too. Uh, the Packers' uh, coaches go through the film, and they keep track of tackles, and the official statistics that the Packers put out are the coaches' tabulations of tackles. Well, Blake Martinez... Solo and assisted tackles combined, he's been credited with 191 tackles so far this year. And since Packers coaches started keeping that statistic in 1975, since then the single-season record for the Packers is 194 tackles by Nick Barnett in 2005. So Blake Martinez is four tackles away from breaking Barnett's record and obviously nine tackles away from the first 200-tackle wow. season since the Packers coaches have been keeping that statistic. So, And I've got a few other ones that are going to be in my <laughs> one-last-look column as well. I had some fun looking up this, uh, this stuff yesterday as I was preparing my Saturday one-last-look-for-packers.com. But some interesting things here as the regular season wraps up because all of the team records and all that are based on regular season games only. Postseason goes into another category. Well, and then there's one other one that is not going to be as heralded. I don't think many people make much about, but it's 13 wins. Uh, if yeah. the Packers can actually get 13 wins in the season, that would be the most since 2011 during that 15-win campaign, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, there, there, are only three, there are only three coaches in Packers history with 13 wins in a regular season. It's Vince Lombardi, Mike Holmgren, and Mike McCarthy. Yeah. They're the only ones who have done it, and Matt LaFleur in his first year is trying to become the fourth coach to hit that mark. Yeah, and it goes back to something that I think you know Mark Murphy's talked about this season, and I think a number of guys have talked about it. I mean, how many people on September 1st would have put them in a position to be doing this right now, uh, to, to have a first round by? I mean, Aaron Rodgers has mentioned this at numerous different intervals throughout the course of the year about how maybe this isn't the most talented team, but I'll be honest with you, Mike, and you've been doing this a little bit longer than I have, but this is as tight-knit of a team as I've covered. Mm -hmm. And that's I not to agree. say that the chemistry wasn't there with some of those other teams. I think the 2014 team in particular had great chemistry. But in terms of, especially on the defensive side of the ball, how close they are from cornerbacks to defensive linemen to linebackers. It's not just the positional groups, and it's not just you know getting into the huddle and, and you know chanting kumbaya together. I mean, these guys legitimately really care about each other. And I, I know that narrative and that cliche kind of gets thrown out there when teams are having success. It's more difficult to get that sort of uh, reputation when you're 6-10, and 10, but... Yeah. I think to some extent it's true because there is an idea there that those guys are playing for each other. Zadarius and Preston Smith are on the verge of becoming superstars in this league. You get 14 sacks in a season, 13 sacks in a year, you're going to get notoriety. Kenny Clark has been just a steady-as-they-go kind of player since day one with his mentality, even with some of the breakouts he's had the last couple seasons. You have your Dean Lowry's and your Jair Alexander's, and uh, you look at a guy like Kevin King and how he stepped up a, a week ago. They've stayed healthy, and they've been able to be on the field together. And then when they're off the field, there's a lot of the camaraderie there as well. So it's not a stat. It's not a milestone. It's not yeah. anything cool like that. Yeah. But that definitely goes a long way when you talk about a team and its chemistry going into the month of January. Yeah, I mean, every team sort of develops its own version of chemistry. There are all sorts of different formulas to continue the metaphor that, that work. I think with this particular team, 
where the the chemistry has has uh, withstood some scrutiny and and withstood some rough moments have been coming off of the the losses in the second half of the season when the Packers lost to the Chargers and they lost to the 49ers. These weren't just you know knockdown drag out fights and you lose on a walk off field goal kind of thing. These were just dud performances yeah. on both sides of the ball, quite frankly, by by the Packers in road games, you know, long flights out to the West Coast and all of that. And I, th- I think the chemistry of this team pulled them through and got them back on the right track very quickly after both of those losses as, as opposed to seeing, you know, seeing one loss beat you twice, so to speak. Right. And I think, that's one, I think that's one way that the chemistry of this team has been tested and they have passed that test to get to this point. And being able to bounce back from losses where they didn't fall into, you know, midseason doldrums, they didn't have consecutive losses all season. And then keep in mind, too, and this is kind of the onus and, and sort of mantra that I've developed for this team, you have to beat them for four quarters because you've seen them get off to slow starts and then work their way back into it. It happened last week. Yeah. Then you also have seen times where maybe they get off to a fast start, they kind of go into a little bit of a, a lull in the second, third quarters, and they finish like gangbusters in the fourth. I mean, th- this is a team that uh, we say it over and over again about how they can win a variety of ways, but they truly can. And last week I thought they – you know, kind of pop the cap on another way of doing <laughs> yeah. it. So yeah. it's a fascinating way to go into this thing. The Packers have to turn back Detroit. They have to be able to win this game and get that 13th crown. But w- when they do, man, you look at how this thing se- sets up right now. If they're hosting a game or two in January in Green Bay, Wisconsin, against San Francisco and New Orleans and some of these warm-weather teams, Seattle to a certain extent. Yeah. The game changes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, looking at what else is going on around the league in Week 17, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if the Packers get the win at Detroit, they're flying back and then settling in to watch the Seahawks and the 49ers battle for the NFC West crown. And if the Packers get to 13-3, and then a Seattle win over San Francisco at CenturyLink would give the Packers the number one overall seed. From the 49ers' perspective, if they win – against Seattle and win the NFC West, they are the number one seed. And then if the Packers have a win, they would get the bye and the number two seed. In either way it shuffles out, it's a great story. Uh, If Green Bay would somehow just work their way back up this thing and end up claiming the number one seed, that's incredible. San Francisco's point of view, you look at the setbacks they've had and being able to to claw their way back into that game against the Rams and then potentially beat Seattle and CenturyLink. I know Packer fans don't hear that, but that's also a pretty good narrative too for a team claiming the number one seed. Yeah, well when you look at the 49ers, I mean this is a team this is a team that won on the road at New Orleans. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember they had another really big road victory. I can look it up um, if you can talk for a couple more seconds. In, in there. The other thing, yeah, I will say while you're looking that up is for those wondering, can the Packers get a first round by if they were to happen to lose at Detroit? The answer is yes, but that would require the Carolina Panthers to beat the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. So if the Packers lose and the Saints lose, the Packers would still get a first round by. But if the Packers lose and the Saints win then Green Bay is the three seed, and then as the three seed, the Packers would be hosting Minnesota in the wild card round because Minnesota is locked in at the six and can't change. Totally. Yeah, you have to be thinking about the Rams game, right? Because otherwise, they didn't really play anybody on the road. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I'm. Bay, th- I might be thinking of. A, I might be thinking of another team then that that chalked up a, a couple of big road wins. But yeah, uh, you talk um, about the Packers roads. People want to talk about the Packers. Look at this road schedule. It did get ramp up at the end of the year, but Tampa Bay, Cincinnati. 
L.A. Rams, Washington, Arizona, and then they had to face Baltimore and New Orleans in back-to-back weeks. Maybe that's what I was – I know they had the Baltimore game at home, and then that came down to a walk-off field goal, so maybe that was the yeah. other game with the Niners that I was uh, that I was thinking of. But um, regardless, so, yes, as a Packers fan, you're keeping an eye on the Saints game, and then on Sunday Night Football, if the Packers do come back with a victory from Detroit, you're keeping an eye on what happens there in the NFC West. As far as the NFC East is concerned, it's between Philadelphia and Dallas. Philadelphia is in the driver's seat with – their victory over the Dallas Cowboys last week. So if Philadelphia beats the Giants, the Eagles are the four seed. If the Eagles lose to the Giants and the Cowboys beat the Redskins, the Cowboys are the four seed. And the that team then would be hosting the five, which essentially is going to be the loser of the Seattle-San yeah. Francisco game, is going to be the five seed and going on the road on wildcard weekend. So... Um, in the AFC, here's here's one thing I want to ask you because it's interesting because the Pittsburgh Steelers are still in the mix for a wild card. <laughs> you only have to, yeah. And and yeah, they have, and they're they're on the road at Baltimore, but the Ravens have locked up the number they're one seed everybody. in the AFC, and they're sitting everybody. So the Steelers could potentially get a win over, you know, the second string of the Baltimore Ravens, so to speak, and sneak their way into the AFC playoffs as the sixty. Now there are some other things too because. The Tennessee Titans are still in the mix, and there's somebody else I think who's still in the mix in the AFC. Yeah, there's, six, there's a couple teams and how well. it works out. Buffalo but... is Buffalo is in the playoffs, and I believe they're the five seed yeah. in the uh, in the AFC. They've got one of those wild card spots. So um, they're de- the scenarios in the AFC for that number six seed are def. Oh, it's Oakland. Oakland seven and eight. Yeah. Yeah. Oakland. If Oakland wins and then has about four other games go exactly the right way, Oakland can actually sneak in to uh, the number six seed in the AFC. So there's a lot of other more complicated scenarios on that side of the ball. But uh, anything in particular from the AFC that interests you heading into Week Seven? I just I got to say Mike Tomlin and how he pulled that team together this year, the job that they've done defensively to to keep this team in this thing. Uh, under a lot of circumstances, you lose Ben Roethlisberger when they lost him, and not having a, a guy really step up and grab that opportunity behind him, that that could have the season could have went awry very quickly. But here they are taking on Baltimore. I actually think this is a really good audition for RG three. Uh, because this is a guy that I think some people kind of left his career for dead a little bit. Yeah, he'll be stepping in for Lamar Jackson. And in an interim basis, he's played pretty well, I felt like, uh, throughout the course of the year. Now he's going to be playing one of the best defenses in the NFL at the Steelers. But uh, that's that's going to be a good matchup to see how he reacts to that. And then it always seems, one way or another, the Titans are always right in this thing at yeah. the end of the season. They, they've probably played more significant Week 17 games, maybe. I mean, it seems like every year something's on the line yeah. for Tennessee in Week 17. They're right in the mix somehow. It was like the Packers for about five years. It was the Green Bay. It was like that a lot. But Tennessee has been that team, especially yeah. with some of the uncertainty in the that that conference uh, in that division in specific. So seeing if Ryan Tannehill can sprinkle his magic a little bit more and beat the division champions there to, to claim a wild card. Yeah, seat, Houston's that's... already locked up that AFC South, but Tennessee trying to sneak in as a wild card in yeah, the conference. It, it's a fascinating week. Uh, other than that, there really isn't much else. It, it pretty much is all predicated on what those. Those, those final wild card you know yeah. positioning sort of works out but Qu- quickly before we go 
the word out of Minnesota as of this morning anyway is that it sounds like the Vikings are going to rest up their guys and kind of treat this as a bye week with week 17 against Chicago knowing that they're going on the road in the wild card round you think that's the right move probably uh, originally earlier this week I felt like you need to give Kirk Cousins that tune-up fight but with Adam Thielen in the hamstring Delvin Cook and Madison both being injured. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Eric Kendricks now. I mean, there's so many different things that have kind of popped up for the Vikings here that, okay, what good does it do if you have Kirk Cousins out there against a very good uh, Chicago defense yeah. against, you know, with, with secondary parts offensively? I don't like this scenario for the Vikings. I still think this is a terrible way to enter the playoffs, but all it takes is one win to, to get you back in it. Yeah, for sure. And they'll be looking to uh, obviously become the road warriors in the NFC as the number six seed. So with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of Sunday's game from Detroit on Packers.com. You can subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and check out that Packers YouTube channel for all kinds of video content. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.